0: Book Four, Chapter One, Part Three of The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two by Henry Charles Lee. Book Four, Organization, Chapter One, Part Three the Inquisitor General and Supreme Council. At this period, it would seem to be the practice in the Suprema to refer cases to two members and act on their report. Thus, in the matter of Mari Valles, condemned in 1594 to relaxation and effigy, the two are Vigil de Quiñones and Mendoza, whose names are inscribed on the back of the sentence and under them the word justa on the strength of which the secretary writes the formal letter to the tribunal ending with hagias senores justia the customary formula of confirmation as might be expected the degree of scrutiny exercised in the performance of this duty was variable in the case of jacques crtension in fifteen ninety nine it was observed that the ratification of the confession of the accused had been made in the presence of only one interpreter when the rules required two the papers were therefore returned to the tribunal of grenada for the rectification of this irregularity but this exactitude was of no benefit to the sufferer on the other hand pedro flamenco was tortured in toledo at ten a m june tenth fifteen seventy after which the consulta de fe was held, which condemned him to relaxation for fictitious confession. At the earliest, the papers could not have reached Madrid until late on the 11th, but on the 12th was dispatched the formal reply confirming the sentence. There could scarce have been time to read the voluminous record, and certainly none to give it more than perfunctory consideration. Again, delays attributable only to negligence were not infrequent. Diego de Jorosco was sentenced to relaxation by the Tribunal of Cuenca, which sent the process to the Suprema, September 3, 1585, and, at the same time, asked for instruction about the cases of Alonso Sanz and Francisco Cacan, which had been previously forwarded. No reply was received for more than a month when the tribunal wrote again, October fourteenth, that it was anxious to hold an auto-de-fe, this brought the prompt answer to torture horozco and execute justice in accordance with the result besides this direct intervention there grew up a watchfulness over the proceedings of the tribunals through their reports of autos de fe which were closely scrutinized and returned with criticisms these reports were required to give full details of all cases decided whether for public autos or private ones in the audience chamber and their regular transmission was enforced by conditioning upon it the payment of the annual ayuda de costa or supplement to the salaries of the officials there was also an opportunity which was not neglected of administering reproofs on the reports required from inquisitors of their annual visitations of portions of their districts these were closely criticised and errors were pointed out without reserve such as judging cases that ought to have been sent to the tribunal for its action punishing too severely or too lightly imperfect reports of cases etc thus in various ways a more or less minute supervision was exercised and the inquisitors were made to feel the subordination of their position this was greatly increased when in sixteen thirty two each tribunal was required to send in a monthly report of all its current business and the condition of each case whether pending or decided and this in addition to an annual report on which depended the allowance of the ayuda de costa it was difficult to enforce the regular performance of this and the command had to be frequently repeated but it was successful to some extent and afforded an opportunity of criticism which was not neglected thus in sixteen ninety five in acknowledging receipt of such a report from valencia its slovenliness and imperfection are sharply rebuked as deserving of a heavier penalty which is suspended through benignity the character it is said of the witnesses should be noted the number or letter of the prisoner's cell The ration assigned to him, whether or not he has property, and, if sequestrated, a copy of the sequestration should be added. The crime and the time of entering the prison and the property items should be repeated in all successive reports. After this, each individual case is considered and much fault is found with the details of procedure. Even the requests for information, made by one tribunal of another, were required by an order of 1635 to be the subject of regular reports by the fiscal every four months. It was impossible, however, to enforce with regularity the rendering of monthly reports, and in 1800 the Suprema contented itself with requiring them thrice a year, a regulation which continued to the end, although it was irregularly observed. The same process of centralization was developed in the control over individual cases it was not only when there was discordia or sentences of relaxation that confirmation was required a carta acordada of august second sixteen twenty five ordered that no sentence of scourging galleys public penance or verguenza should be executed until the process was submitted to the suprema the records of the tribunal of valladolid at this period not only show that this was observed when corporal punishment was inflicted but also indicate that a custom was springing up of submitting the sentence in all cases involving clerics, and further that the habit was becoming frequent of consulting the Suprema during the course of trials. When, in 1647, the Suprema required all sentences to be submitted to it as soon as pronounced, it assumed full control over the disposition of cases. It was concentrating in itself the management of the entire business of all the tribunals. The minuteness of detail in its supervision is illustrated when, in 1697, the daily ration of four meravedes for a prisoner in Valladolid was regulated by it, and the vote of the tribunal whether a prisoner is to be confined in the carceles medias or secretas had to be confirmed by it simple arrest by the inquisition was in itself an infliction of no common severity and from an early period the Suprema sought to exercise supervision over it in 1500 the instructions of seville require the tribunals whether they make an arrest to send to the inquisitor general by their messenger the accusation with the testimony in full the number of witnesses and the character of the accused this salutary check on the irresponsible power of the inquisitors was too cumbrous for enforcement and it soon became obsolete but in 1509 when there was discordia as to sentences of arrest they were ordered before execution to be submitted to the suprema with the opinions of the voters in 1521 to check the persecuting zeal of the tribunals towards the moriscos or newly baptized moors cardinal adrian ordered that they should not be arrested save on conclusive evidence which must first be submitted to the suprema a humane measure speedily forgotten the religious orders were favored in fifteen thirty four by requiring confirmation of all sentences of arrest pronounced against their members a measure which required to be repeated in fifteen fifty five and in 1616 it was extended to all ecclesiastics the instructions of 1561 order consultation with the suprema before arresting persons of quality or when the case is otherwise important and in 1628 it was ordered that no arrest be made on the testimony of a single witness without first consulting the suprema if escape were feared precautions might be taken but in such wise as to inflict as little disgrace as possible. Under these limitations, the practice is summarized by a writer, about 1675, who tells us that there are cases in which the tribunals can vote arrest, but not execute it without the assent of the suprema. These are where there is but one witness, but this is not observed with Judaizers, when the accused is a cleric, religious, knight of the military orders, notary or superior officer of justice, unless indeed flight be apprehended. In these cases, the Sumeria, or summary of evidence, must be well drawn up and submitted to the Suprema with the votes of the Inquisitors. Thus, gradually, the independent action of the tribunals was curtailed until it finally disappeared and centralization in the Suprema was complete. The precise date of this I have been unable to determine, but a writer of the middle of the 18th century tersely describes the conditions, telling us that the inquisitors determine nothing without the orders of the council, so that when they draw up the Sumerias, in cases of faith, they submit them, and, on their return, do what they are told. They do not sentence, but only append their opinions to the processes, and the council decides." this continued to the end the book of votes of the suprema in the restored inquisition from eighteen fourteen to eighteen twenty shows that the tribunals had become mere agencies for receiving denunciations collecting evidence and executing the orders of the council even these slender duties were sometimes denied to them in the case of juana de lima of zeres tried for bigamy the Sumaria was made up by the commissioner of zeres and on it the suprema without more ado sentenced her to four years in a house of correction and sent the sentence to the commissioner to be read to her the functions of the civil inquisitors were reduced to transmitting the papers and keeping the records if a tribunal ventured on the slightest expression of dissent it was roundly taken to task thus december twenty third eighteen sixteen that of madrid was sternly rebuked because in the case of don teodoro bachelier it had described as unjustified his imprisonment that imprisonment had been approved by the suprema and the tribunal was ordered to expunge from the records this improper expression and never to repeat such an offence if it desired to escape serious action so when the fiscal of the same tribunal remonstrated against an order to remove Caetano carcer on the ground of ill health from the secret prison the suprema replied january fourteenth eighteen eighteen eighteen, that its orders were dictated by justice and there was no fiscal or tribunal that could object to them it expected that the tribunal and its fiscal would in future be more self-restrained and obedient to its superior decisions thus escaping all responsibility and that they would not oblige the council to enforce its authority by measures necessary although unpleasant to this had shrunk the inquisitor before whom in the old days bishops and magnates trembled it is satisfactory to be able to say that as a rule the interference of the suprema with the tribunals was on the side of mercy rather than of rigor It is true that torture then the universal solvent of doubt was frequently ordered but there seems to have been a fairly conscientious discharge of the responsibilities which it had grasped in the valladolid records of the seventeenth century the modifications of sentences are almost uniformly mitigations especially by the omission of scourging which the tribunals were accustomed to administer liberally and there would seem to be an especial tenderness for the offenses of the clergy. A typical instance of this moderation is seen in the case of Margarita Altamira, sentenced by the Barcelona Tribunal in 1682 to appear in an auto de fe, to abjure de Levi, and to receive a hundred lashes through the streets, and to seven years' exile from Barcelona and some other places, the first two of which were to be passed serving in a hospital without pay all this the suprema reduced to hearing her sentence read in the audience chamber and to four years exile from the same places this mitigating tendency is especially apparent in the restored inquisition from eighteen fourteen to eighteen twenty where the sentences are almost uniformly revised with a reduction of penalties scourging is more rarely prescribed by the tribunals and when it is ordered it is invariably omitted by the suprema the power of dispensing with it being attributed to the Inquisitor General. As the functions of the tribunals thus gradually shrank to mere ministerial duties, the appellate jurisdiction lodged in the Inquisitor General and absorbed by the Suprema, of which we heard so much in earlier times, became less and less important. The Bull of Leo X in 1516 prescribes that appeals shall be heard by the Inquisitor General in conjunction with the Suprema and that, pending the decision, the case shall be suspended. This indicates that appeals were suspensive, although subsequently the Inquisition eluded this by arguing, as in the matter of Villanueva, that they were merely devolutionary, that is, that sentences, in spite of them, were to be promptly executed, thus practically rendering them useless. At this period, the relations between the council and the inquisitor general as to appellate jurisdiction do not appear to be definitely settled. In 1520, Antonia de la Bastida appealed about his wife's dowry from the judge of confiscations of Calahora, and the decision in his favor was rendered by the Suprema in consultation with the very reverend father, the Cardinal of Tortosa, Adrian, and, as the crown was concerned, it was confirmed by Charles V., in two cases however in fifteen twenty seven and fifteen twenty eight in which on appeal cardinal manrique remitted or mitigated sentences the letters were issued in his name and without signature by the members of the council during manrique's disgrace the suprema apparently acted independently for in a letter of december ninth fifteen thirty five to the Valencia Tribunal, alluding to the cases on appeal pending before it, it promises to adjudicate them as speedily as possible. That, by this time, at least its concurrence had become essential would appear from the modification, on appeal by Juan Gomez, from a sentence imposed by the Valencia Tribunal, when the letter was signed both by Inquisitor General Tavera and the members of the council when as we have seen the secular courts endeavoured to entertain appeals in cases of confiscation and matters not strictly of faith prince philip sedula of march tenth fifteen fifty three emphatically declared that appellate jurisdiction was vested solely in the suprema which held faculties for that purpose from the holy see and from the crown this would seem to dispose of any claim that appellate jurisdiction was a special attribute of the inquisitor-general and this is confirmed by a case in 1552 in which Angelica Vidama appealed from the sentence of the Valencia tribunal condemning the memory and fame of her deceased mother Beatrice Vidama. On March 8th, Inquisitor General Valdez and the members of the council, with some assessors, declared that, after examining the matter in several sessions, their opinion was that the sentence should be revoked. Then, on March twelfth, in the presence of Valdez, the council adopted a sentence restoring her and her posterity to honor and good fame, and releasing the confiscation of her estate. The sentence is not signed by Valdez, but only by three members of the council, which indicates that his signature was unnecessary. When he was held simply to have a vote, like every other member, he could claim no special authority as to appeals, and with the gradual intervention of the Suprema in all acts of the tribunals, appeals themselves became obsolete. From a comparatively early period, the control assumed by the Suprema over the provincial tribunals was absolute. Already, in 1533, it tersely informed them that what it ordered and what it forbade must be obeyed to the letter. This it repeated in 1556 and in fifteen sixty eight it took occasion to tell them that it was not to be answered nor were inquisitors to offer excuses when they were rebuked this control was not confined to their judicial proceedings but extended to every detail of their affairs even Ferdinand, with his minute watchfulness over the management of the tribunals, gave to the inquisitors a certain latitude as to the expenses and instructed his receivers that they were to honor the requisitions of the inquisitors for outlays on messengers, lodgings, work on houses, prisons, stagings, etc. The Suprema permitted no such liberty of action. It required to be consulted in advance and roundly scolded tribunals which incurred expenses on their own responsibility in 1569 a general order specified in minute detail the trifling matters of daily necessity for which they could make disbursements for everything else referenced first must be made to the suprema this continued to the end and its correspondence is filled with instructions as to petty outlays of all kinds and largely with regard to repairs of the houses and other properties belonging to the inquisition if valencia in sixteen forty seven wanted a clock in the audience chamber it had to apply for permission to purchase one and in sixteen fifty the suprema ordered its price to be allowed in the receiver's accounts in sixteen sixty five it ordered the fiscal of barcelona to be lodged in the palace of the inquisition and gave minute instructions how the apartments were to be redistributed so as to accommodate him it is scarce necessary to add that the determination of salaries, which had originally been lodged in the hands of the Inquisitor General, had passed absolutely under the control of the Suprema. Among the perquisites of the officials was that they were furnished with mourning on occasions of public mourning, and a Carta Accordata of January twentieth, 1578, ordered that, when this was to be given, a detailed statement must be made out in advance of the persons entitled to it how much there would be required what kind of cloth and at what price on the death of philip the second in fifteen ninety eight two persons in valencia complained that they had been omitted in the distribution whereupon it wrote to the tribunal for information on receipt of which it ordered that one of them should be gratified so in sixteen sixty five on the death of philip the fourth dr palerio juncar one of the physicians of the tribunal of barcelona asked for an allowance such as had been given to his colleague dr maruk whereupon the suprema called for a report as to the cost of the mourning given to dr maruk and whether it was customary to give it to two physicians a similar petition from juan carbonell one of the advocates for poor prisoners led to another demand for information and the result was that the suprema refused them both This close watchfulness did not diminish with time. In 1816, when returning the papers of a case to the Tribunal of Madrid, a reprimand was administered because in one place there was a blank of half a page, which might have been utilized for a certain record. So, in 1817, Seville was rebuked for the number of blank pages in the processes sent, causing not only a useless waste of paper, but an increase of postage. Six months later, Seville sent the Sumaria of Miguel Villavicencio, in which the Suprema counted 14 blank pages, whereupon it referred to its previous instructions and commanded the tribunal to tell the secretaries that they must obey orders, else they would not only be charged with the excess of postage, but would be severely punished. The development of this absolute authority was largely aided by the complete control over the finances of the tribunals claimed and exercised by the Inquisitor General, or the Suprema, or concurrently by both. This, after the death of Ferdinand, practically passed into their hands, except when Charles, in his early years, made grants to his courtiers from the confiscations all that was gathered in by the laborers of the provincial inquisitors was treated as a common fund at the sole discretion of the central power most of the tribunals as we shall see held investments partially adequate to their support in addition to their current gains but even these were held subject to the suprema in 1517, orders were sent to the farmers of the revenue to pay to the receiver-general of the Suprema, instead of to the tribunals, the heros or assignment on the taxes, held by the latter. Of these, the holdings of the Seville tribunal amounted to 500,000 meravedes per annum, 100,000 on the tithe of oil, 200,000 on the alcavala of oil, and 200,000 on the alcavala of the shambles. Cordova suffered less from this, for that tribunal held only 103,000 maravedes of income, 63,000 on the alcavala of meal, 16,000 on that of wine, and 24,000 on that of fruit. But it was not only on the investments, but also on the current earnings of the tribunals that the Suprema laid its hand. Its salary list was considerable it had no settled source of income and the royal policy was that the inquisition must pay its own way besides having a surplus for the treasury in fifteen fifteen while the suprema of castile was yet to separate from that of aragon its payroll aggregated seven hundred and fifty thousand meravedes with three hundred and forty thousand additional for ayudas de costa Or in all, 1,090,000, without counting Inquisitor General Xemenes, who seems to have disdained the emoluments of his office. This large sum, the receiver of Seville, Pedro de Velasís, was required to defray in 1515, while in 1516 the demand fell upon Guilastegui, receiver of Toledo. In 1517, the salaries were paid by Seville and the Ayuda de Costa by Toledo and in fifteen eighteen by valencia the burden was apportioned among them according to their luck in addition to this were the innumerable orders to pay the salaries and expenses of the tribunals which were sometimes issued in the name of cardinal adrian and sometimes in that of the suprema it would seem that the receivers of the tribunals who were practically treasurers Occasionally hesitated in honoring these calls, for in 1520, Charles V issued cedulas to all the receivers of Castile and Aragon to pay whatever the Inquisitor General and Suprema should order. The theory that the funds belonged to the crown in no way limited the control of the Inquisitor General and Suprema, and this, during the disgrace of Manrique, naturally passed into the hands of the council. Under his successor, Tavera. Orders were sometimes drawn in his name and countersigned by the members of the council, and sometimes all reference to him was omitted. There seems not to have been any settled rule until, about 1704, the victory of the council over Mendoza was emphasized by an instruction that no order for the payment of money given by the Inquisitor General was to be recognized unless countersigned by the members. End of Book 4 Chapter 1, Part 3. Recording by Kathleen Nelson, Austin, Texas, September 2010.